Hey, thanks for listening to us uh, this first season. Jeff and I are going to take a little break. Uh, We'll be back in September, October with fresh episodes. Thanks a lot. And until then, here's our last episode of the season, Immigration Part 2. Welcome to the new podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, where we examine contemporary issues through the lens of history. We are solving the world's problems one podcast at a time. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with a nice cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Hey, welcome back, boys and girls, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. This is part two of our immigration podcast. Last week, we took a look at the history of immigration in America. And today, we're going to spend some time looking at current policy um, and how it's playing out on the border and going to talk about the wall, going to talk about what our policy should look like, at least according to Matt and Jeff. But before we get started, um, we're going to do a little bit on the beer part of it because I am looking at a giant purple can in front of me with a dog's face on it, Jeff. Tell me a little bit about this. This is uh, Lagunitas beer. We've had Lagunitas IPA. It's one of the few IPAs that you like yes. because it's so balanced. Uh, this is called their 12th of Never Ale, and it does come in this giant purple can, which was a evidently a marketing vice that worked because it intrigued me. So let's open this thing up and take a uh, – it has a quote on it here. What is this going to hold around the top? I can't get to the uh, – what you are doing, counting up or counting down, beer proof, raise a glass, would – I can't I can't read all that. All right. Anyway, all let's, right let's, let's, drink, let's drink it. Let's see. just drink the beer. Uh, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. See, I do like that. That's a nice mild mm-hmm. IPA. So that's yeah. I don't think that it qualifies as an IPA. It's a hoppy ale. Yes, which is kind of the same thing. And that's kind of what you know. What that's where I'm. I like the pale ales now, okay. which have hop because you know I like the hop, but it's not the crazy hop. No. And uh, this is only five point five percent alcohol. That's a pretty nice beer, isn't it? That's a very nice you beer. Can, I can live with this. It's one. a one. It's a, it's it's a pint. It's coming in a pint. Um, can okay. and it, it is it look it, you know it, look, it feels summery too it's the purple stuff and I feel like I should be on a unicorn or something okay well, well all right it's a good beer so. I enjoy it um go out get yourself one again if I'm I'm your non hop guy uh just a little bit of bitter but not an it, it's a nice nice balance kind of reminds me of that peak beer you brought talk about balanced remember, beers yeah that was your i think that's your favorite so far yeah, i have to get that that fruit, peak organic right. uh, yeah it wasn't, was, wasn't too fruity was just but just had cuz fruity beers are oh if they get yeah yeah they can be mixed really wrong <laughs> i just i discovered something this week i was playing some cards and i dropped a beer on the ground and I discovered my dog likes beer. Okay. Because Maggie really went at it. All right. Now, she only weighs 30 pounds, so I guess I got to be careful on be, what she gets because yeah. she'll be, uh, she won't be able to drive if she uh, gets too much. You no, know, I've seen drunk dogs. It's not pretty. <laughs> no, I'm not going to get my dog drunk. <laughs> that would be, be horrible. Anyway. All right. So before we get started on immigration, um, we're sitting right the day after the historic Helsinki Summit. Between. The Surrender Summit, as some people the call it. The Surrender Summit, Treason Summit, I heard it being called. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a little um, far I, out there. I, um, between Trump and Vladimir Putin. And 
it did not go well for Trump. Um, in the, I've asked this question before, and I'm going to let you speak a little bit to this, what happened. Um, is this a bridge too far? I, I thought we've gone a bridge too far multiple times. I, I really, I, I thought the Nazi thing was like, how does he recover? Or when he said there are good people on both yeah, sides down you, there in Charlottesville. When you can't condemn Nazis. I'm like, that's just, you know, the people's grandfathers fought against Nazis. But people seem to be okay with that to some degree. But this one's a little bit different. Now you're on foreign soil, standing on the same stage as as our adversary. And Russia absolutely is our adversary. All 17 of our intelligence agencies, including both commi- uh, Republican-controlled House Committee, Republican-controlled Senate Committee, Everyone is saying that Russia interfered with our election. That's not even up for discussion anymore. It's, it's an absolute fact, according to any source, Republican or Democrat. That's correct. Except Donald Trump. Uh, he's the only one that seems to doubt this. So talk a little bit about what happened in Helsinki and what you're seeing. Well, tr- Trump said that Putin was very powerful and forceful in his denials, which, you know, Indicates a couple of things. First is maybe a man crush, you know, <laughs> powerful and forceful. But I mean, you yeah. laugh. I, I think you're true. I think there's something to that. Well, I, I do think he likes. He, he tends to. Uh, I, I don't want to say worship, but look up to those with with power and with control. And Putin certainly has that. I'm. He prays. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Kim Jong Un. Yeah, and and also the Chinese president when he became right. president for life. Well, these aren't democratic features, and he doesn't seem to be too concerned about that. Now, uh, I think what the the best excuse for Donald Trump's behavior with regard to Russia is this one I heard. This this, this actually even this this uh, yesterday he was still questioning whether Russia did it because he said, well, I know our intelligence agency said this, but Vladimir Putin said this. Who who does that? You know, who who, who does that? I mean, th- think about a- a- any time the United States was attacked, you know, well, you know, Emperor Hirohito uh, said. <laughs> he said it wasn't Pearl, him. It wasn't him. Wasn't, it wasn't them at Pearl Harbor. So it, it, it becomes, uh, you know, why does he do this? And, and the only... You know, excuse, and it's not really an excuse because it's a, uh, it's actually a condemnation of the way the person thinks. But the excuse I heard is this, that Donald Trump has been concerned from the start that his election is perceived as illegitimate, that somehow something was tainted. And, well, and, so, and so you get his response to the Electoral College. Well, but, there were illegal immigrants. Okay, but, I'm stopping but, but, it, it was tainted, but doesn't mean it's not legitimate, right? But I mean, then, and then what I read was he doesn't seem to be able to differentiate between the fact that it was legitimate. I mean, so far we've have no evidence that Russians were they did hack state. A lot of people don't even know this. They did hack state elections, but they weren't. Nobody has seen any evidence they were able to switch votes, right? So, but. The, the and, and again, this is not excuse. This is what I read: that Donald Trump is unable to distinguish between the attack that the Russians did and questions about the legitimacy of his election. That he views those through the same lens. 
the lens that Donald Trump always uses, this is about Donald Trump. And of course, an attack on our election is an attack on the very foundation of the United States. The way the Declaration of Independence puts it is that legitimate government comes from, I quote, consent of the governed. Well, that's elections. The way the Constitution puts it is legitimacy flows from we the people. Part of that is through elections. Elections. So an attack on those is attack on the very foundation of the United States. That That's just plain as day. And somehow he's unable, as some of his followers seem unable, to distinguish the attack on, uh, on the election from claims that Donald Trump might not be a legitimate president. And, I, and there's probably people who do uh, question his legitimacy through this. You know, I don't. But there's no question the election was attacked. Uh, there's no question that that's an attack on the United States. And sure is weird to hear your president side with a, a dictator over his intelligence agencies. That's just plain weird. Yeah, it, it is weird. And it, it, it is beyond weird. It's I'm not going to use the word treason because I think that is a great exaggeration to what, what we have right now. But disloyalty might not be a bad yeah, word. I mean, it's it is amazing. I mean, I, I watched the when I was watching it, when he threw the Democrats under the bus, um, that that made my jaw drop because now you're criticizing Americans on the same stage as you're sitting there with with the foreign leader, um, you know arguments within the family should stay within the family. And then when you leave, you protect the family. And he didn't do that. He threw half the country under the bus, calling them obstructionists. And this is why we're not getting things done. And then when he then sided with Putin um, against the intelligence community, I, I just, I don't know where we go from here. I don't well, know. He what also the- criticized the Mueller probe. And here, here again, you know, what that is, is looking in to see if laws were broken. He's a prosecutor, uh, Mueller's war hero, uh, head of the FBI, uh, uh, you know, a guy with really an unblemished rep- reputation before he, he had this. I mean, he was approved unanimously. All the Republicans in Congress voted for him to be head of the FBI when he was nominated. And here you have a president throwing him under the bus and and to me, it looks like you're throwing the rule of law under the bus. Again, a bedrock, bedrock democratic principle. Everybody has to obey the laws. The president and everybody else has to obey him. Of course, Putin doesn't believe in that. He doesn't believe in that. But Americans are supposed to believe in that. And that's what, I mean, I just don't, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if the Republicans know what to do at this point either, because a lot of them finally came out and started criticizing the president for even Fox News thought it was, you know, several people in Fox News thought it was a disaster. It was a disaster. It was a disaster. And he, he and Trump has this habit of attacking the foundations of our government. He has attacked the courts. Um, he has attacked the press. Uh, and again, those are two foundations of a democracy. Um, and now he's attacking um, the intelligence agencies. He's, he's attacking the voting process. It, it, yeah, it, 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 it leads a lot to be desired. Um, but he's also sticking his nose into and making comments about, and this is going to be our little segue, about European immigration, uh, which I think says what he says about European immigration. I think we really can translate a lot into what he thinks about our immigration process. So I know you have some stuff written down about some of his quotes 
Uh, I think this is going to segue really nicely into our discussion on immigration. Well, while he was over in England, he gave uh, an interview, I think it's to The Sun, and which was a right-wing uh, paper over there. But anyhow, he said this, allowing the immigration to take place in Europe is a shame. I think it changed the fabric of Europe. And unless you get it very, uh, excuse me, unless you act very quickly, it's never going to be what it was. And I don't mean that in a positive way. So he is very much concerned and about immigration in Europe and thinks it's changed the fabric of their society. And let's, let's break the code here. There's going to be less white people and more brown people, and that's not a good thing. I mean, that's, to me, that's what he's saying. I mean, he's not talking about people from Sweden and Norway you know, moving across borders. He's talking about brown-skinned people bringing different religions. Um, I mean, this is the same sort of demographic he's referring to uh, his base that thought there were parts of England that were uh, no-go zones. Birmingham, I think, was one yeah. of those no-go <laughs> zones because uh, the Muslims have taken over and, and the cops don't even go into Birmingham, which is a load of crap. Um, but he's playing off of that fear, that change, and the change is coming in brown-skinned people. Well, well right. And, and we alluded to last time, I, I, I think that even the knee-jerk liberal position might be, well, we can just let anybody in regardless. And that's never really been our policy. And I'm not sure anybody who really thought it through would think that would be a good policy either. Even though that was our policy for the first hundred years of our nation. Right. But, right. That's true. Uh, You know, when you you have manifest destiny, you're trying to fill up a country uh, from coast to coast. You're going to let people in. But the immigrant, the immigrants were uh, generally from more people from the regions uh, that the people were here from. Right. You know, the Germans, English, and later we got the Irish, and that did create, you know, extensive problems. Uh, but uh, and then you had the Norwegians up in the in the Midwest. But but once we did have an immigration policy, it became exclusive and in favor of. Uh, more people being here like the people already here. And you already mentioned last week the Chinese Exclusion Act. I don't know if we talked about the Emergency Quota Act, but that's— 1921. Yeah. Uh, we did. We talked about the Quotas yeah. Act of 21 and 23 So that basically were restricting immigration from Southern and Eastern Europe. Right. It said, it said you could have 3% immigration each year uh, of of uh, based on the origin of— uh, the groups that were already here, well, the groups by a certain year. Yeah, it was like uh, nineteen. I forget the exact year. Okay, but then by nineteen twenty-three, what they did is they threw the year even further back. So the so you could have a percent of the people that were already here, and now we're like okay, we're thinking back to nineteen hundred. Well, there was no one here in nineteen hundred from these regions, so right. it just it just simply but, shut off immigration but, from certain parts yeah, of the country. The idea world. was to favor northern Europeans, right. and and you know we we can we can look at that, and obviously it is uh, I don't know race is cer- certainly ethnocentric, but. You know, if somebody really argues for unrestricted immigration, I would really have them look at different areas of the world where people come from and ask the question, do they share important parts of the culture that you like, that that you enjoy in the United States? And uh, I do think that's a question that needs to be asked. 
So I, I think there has to obviously there has to be borders. Some people this they don't seem to think they need to be borders, but then again, then you couldn't really have any laws because you wouldn't know where you could enforce them. No, I think so. more young people are there. And I think that's because they live in a more global community with internet, with the Facebooks and with the Instagrams. And so they see less borders. They see more of a, a, a group at attitude than more of an individual attitude. So I think they see less borders. But that's you're a good point. But you're absolutely right that – um, one of my favorite quotes about the Constitution is that the Constitution isn't a suicide pact, that you can't allow so many rights and so much freedom that it destroys the very document that is protecting your rights. And immigration is sort of like that. You can't not, you cannot let so many people in that it actually changes the dynamic of the freedoms that allowed people to come in from, to begin with. You know, so there is absolutely a need to if, and culture is going to change all the time. I mean, that, that's just a, a foregone conclusion. We're constantly changing, but the change should be slow and gradual um, because – Manageable. Yeah, manageable. Absolutely. And be, and one of the huge things – we talked about this last week – is that we have to be able to maintain the traditions and the culture and the norms and the mores that we're accustomed to. And I think we brought up some simple ones last, uh, last week simply about dogs. I think that was a great example that you brought up. Right. We, we don't eat dogs. You know, I mean, and I don't mean to throw any other culture under the bus here, but I don't want you eating a dog as my neighbor. And I don't want you telling me, well, it's part of my culture. Well, you know, it's not part of my culture. Right. You know, what I mean, I bought a house, I bought a place and I want my community <laughs> to be a certain. And if you live next door and you're raising dogs to eat them, I don't like that. And, and it'll be against the law. You'll be coming right. here breaking the law. I do think there is some multiculturalists that don't like some of the things in what they see as American culture. And they think that by inviting all sorts of different people in, they can dilute these aspects that they don't like. I think that is pretty radical. I think most people who live in the United States, people who voted for Trump and people who did not, on some level, really, really appreciate the freedoms and the culture that is here. And even though we're talking about Trump and, you know, Trump is a sexist and uh, has said racist things, the United States was built on this idea of individual freedom and government, that the people should have some say in government. And I think that's what attracted immigrants here, that they could have more freedom. I think that's why they've generally been extremely successful. We always talk about, oh, immigration is going to change. We can also flip that around and, and see what immigrants have bought to the United States. And they have changed the culture. But I think most immigrants have come here because they wanted to be part of that experiment in democracy, that experiment in freedom. That, and even though, obviously, that hasn't been extended to people uh, uh, all the time in American history, it's an ideal that we have striven to live up to. And uh, I think that's what attracted people here. So you got to be careful you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater or whatever, however you want to put it. You want to allow immigrants to come in. Uh, immigrants need to assent. They, they need to have if, uh, knowledge eventually of the Declaration of the Constitution. And actually, if you want to be naturalized, which is becoming an American citizen, you'll probably know more about America than most people who were born here. Because I've given that test to some of my kids in school. Have you done that? Yes, I have. How do they do? Not well. No. 
They don't know their own culture. No, they don't know. They think they know. It's all in, in many ways. It, knowing your own culture is similar to knowing the Bible. You know, you have a lot of people who think, well, the Bible, and people don't know what even the, the Bible says. Right. You know, it's sort of that ethnocentric attitude, that arrogance almost. I have a couple of questions for you here. Yeah. So, because, so one point I'd make, yeah. the, the people that are already here, the people aren't immigrants, you need to know about your culture too, what's, what's really your culture. So, right. Okay. All right. So I did, I, have, I found this cool um, survey that was done because I think immigration is a lot about perception. Um, total U.S. population- what is the percent that is immigrant? Do you have that written down someplace? I think I did have that written down. Is it one in seven? Yeah, it's about 14%. Okay. 14, 15%, right at one in seven. Now, perception. According to a survey, what is the perception of an American people? Ooh. What is their, what do they think it is? In reality, it's 14%. What do Americans think it really is? That's a great question because- and I don't know. There probably are polls out there. Yes. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be concern. I'm gonna double that and say they think twenty eight percent of the population is almost forty percent. That's what they think. That's the perception. Thirty seven percent. The American people, according to this survey, and this was not this was done. I think by a, actually a conservative group that did this survey. Um, th- they think thirty seven percent. Of the population is so a third. They a think third. a third of people. right over a third. Yeah, that's that, that's a huge difference. Fourteen percent. Anyway, so it, it our perceptions are skewed. Here's another one: unemployment rate among immigrants is at five percent, which makes sense because that's the unemployment rate low is low right now. Right. What's the perception of the American people of the unemployment rate among immigrants? Oh, it's got to be high. Like. 15%. 25%. Well, I think a quarter of them. Right. So a quarter of all immigrants. So we yeah, have- I'm just going to throw in a personal observation yeah. here. Just, you know, and I, I don't mean to, to generalize about any group, but I, I will say that every Mexican person that I've known personally that have come to this country came here looking for a job. Right. So it, it's kind of weird. That, and I'm sure some, some there's some people who didn't get jobs or who, who didn't want one, but every person- I know from Mexico, uh, came here to get a job and got, got one. They really think a quarter of immigrants don't have jobs. Right. And there's all this, this big myth. Right. Also, they collect welfare, which they don't. Not 1996 welfare law, mo- the vast majority of programs, you need documentation, the proof that you're a U.S. citizen well, before I, you start collecting I federal. I got something to throw in there that I came across is that the uh, – one of the things that Trump always does is talk about this gang. What's that gang? Oh, it? yeah, 13, MS-13. MS-13 and they, these, these immigrants. I lock my doors at night now because of MS-13. <laughs> well, here in Strasburg. Here yeah, in St- uh, Lancaster, Lampeter, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's a bother. I tell you, Marietta, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a creeping threat on the bike trail. <laughs> Are they roaming the streets of Marietta? <laughs> it's the bike trail. <laughs> but but anyhow, the uh, uh, immigrant community... It, Trump constantly associates immigration with crime, but they've done studies, national studies. Over and over. Over and over, and again, over yeah. again. Communities that have, that are, we could call immigrant communities, um, they have less crime than the average communities. Immigrants don't commit crimes in excess uh, of their numbers. So that that's, again, you have the fear, you know, the great fear of the other. And I'm not, we just, you know, I'm trying to be honest. 
there's things I want when people come to this country. There are things I like about my country that I want them to accept. But that doesn't mean you have to fear the other. They're not bringing crime. They Generally, immigrants want jobs. I don't like the demonization of any group. Certainly immigrants have been demonized. Oh, my gosh. Trump has even gone as far as coining a phrase. You hear them say angel families? Right. If you're if you're a victim of a violent crime done by an illegal immigrant, you're an angel family. Now, of course, when you have – I mean we're going to talk about numbers here in a little bit. I think we have 12 million undocumented people in this country. In a group of 12 million, obviously there's going to be people who commit crimes. And I and, want their butts deported. I mean, I'm absolutely. not yeah, – get the hell out of – you know, eat, prosecuted or deported. Get them get, – go away if you want to – but that's not the majority of no. people that come here. They want a better life. Right. And that, that, that and so the idea that we are coining a phrase called uh, the angel families, almost taking off of the idea of gold star families um, from the military, that there's that many of them. There's so many people that have been victimized uh, from illegal immigrants. And again, I don't want to downplay if you've suffered a loss because of a crime committed. That's very serious. But again, this idea of throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, certainly comes to um Mine. All right. At this point, I think that Donald Trump has one immigration policy in my idea, in my mind, and that is build the wall. Do you want to spend a little bit of time on the wall or do we want to backtrack at this point and talk a little bit about I, – I know you had some information on what other countries are doing. Um, well, yeah. I mean and, and here's here's another thing too. And, you know, this is the old balancing act when, when there's people that probably – uh, look at the United States and and look what happened recently with Trump and the separation of of families, which of course was uh, most people disapproved of. But they have this idea that we're really restrictive about immigration. And the United States is not really restrictive uh, about uh, immigration when compared to the rest of the world. And we mentioned that last time. Let's talk a little and, bit about. And they also they also unlike the Quota Act. We have, as one of our principles of immigration now, is promoting diversity. And a lot of people wouldn't know that. But let me make that point, and, and, and we'll, we'll go on. I, we mentioned that the Emergency Quota Act and the, uh, restricted immigration based on a percentage of the people that were already here, right. and they were mostly Northern European. We actually have something, and I was surprised— uh, to to find that, we actually have something called the Diversity Visa Program. And 55,000 visas are allocated randomly from countries that have sent less than 50,000 immigrants to the United States in the previous five years. In other words, I don't know if that was intelligible, but those, those countries which have not had a total of 50,000 immigrants in a five-year period, they get a special allocation. Uh, we want people to come from those countries. It's called a visa a, lottery. Yeah. And uh, there are some requirements. you got to have a high school uh, or equivalent. You have to have two years training in a profession. Uh, but to me, that was very interesting to find out that we have grown beyond uh, the idea of a quota. And we only want people from just this certain area. We're actually encouraging 
to a, I understand to a limited degree, but we're encouraging people to come from places where they haven't normally come from. That was a shock to me. I did not know that. It's one of these great things I like about the show. I find out some stuff. And that goes in right with um, the other parts of what really makes up U.S. policy right now. Um, We're getting a lot of our information from a website called AmericanImmigrationCouncil.org. And this is just some basic information on how – what our policy is based on. The first part of our policy is family-based immigration, correct, that we want to reunite families. Now, this does have a downside to it, and we get the phrase chain migration from this, where as you bring more and more people over that are related, the chain gets longer and longer and longer, and you can continue bringing more and more and more people over based on chain migration. Uh, The website says family unification is an important principle governing immigration policy. The family-based immigration category allows the United States to bring certain family members to the United States, uh, U.S. citizens, to bring certainly family members to the United States. Family-based immigrants are admitted either as immediate relatives of the U.S. citizen or through the family preference system. I don't want to get into all the nuts and bolts of it because they have um, a whole uh, table here that shows you how what the limit is. If you're a U.S. citizen, it's actually unlimited how many people you can bring in. Um, after that, um, well, there I are mean, limits. Yeah, there. I, the the people that have preference are on the immediate uh, uh, relatives are spouses and unmarried minor children, right? And parents of U.S. citizens. Uh, for parents of U.S. citizens. But what I said, I said limits. I said limits. I didn't mean, I said unlimited. I didn't mean one person was unlimited. Oh, okay. I meant that the group coming over, if you're a U.S. citizen and you want to bring a spouse over, I don't think we set limits on how many spouses come in. We don't. If you're, if, if, if you're married, uh, as Donald Trump was, your your spouse can come (laughs) right over. Well, you know, and and one of the interesting things is this, uh, family preference system and the immediate relative, uh, uh, that's not really a restriction. The the immediate relatives being able to come over here is the term anchor babies. Oh yeah, anchor babies. And and I think we need to go back to the the Constitution because a lot of people don't know this basic stuff. But the Fourteenth Amendment, which was passed after the Civil War, uh, says that if you're born in the United States, you are a citizen of the United States. That's what it says. It wasn't aimed at immigrants. Uh, before the Civil War, black people were not considered citizens right. because of the Dred Scott decision. Uh, and and so what the so-called radical Republicans were doing was saying, you know what? If you're born here, you're a citizen, period. So it made the freed black people in the South citizens. And then it went on to say, uh, you, you know, you have all the rights of any American citizen, including equal protection and, and due process. So what happens then is if if – an immigrant comes here, and they have a baby. They're a citizen. That's what the 14th Amendment says. You're going to have to amend the Constitution. And there are people who are against birth, what they call birthright citizens. They want to uh, you know, amend the 14th Amendment. I'm going to tell you, it ain't likely to happen. No, no, no. That's just like any amendment. It's just two-thirds of both houses and three-quarters right. of the states. They're not going to do it. So uh, – y- y- I don't think people know that. I think they think, well, we can just get get rid of that. And 
uh, you're not going to be able to to get rid of that. Um, and so you're going to have kids that are born in the United States and who can later bring in spouses or well, parents or whatever. Right. So that's what you're going to have. Right. And and you're not – are you going to deport a, a U.S. citizen because the it, it is a conundrum. There's no doubt about that. I don't think there's a good solution to the problem. Um when a parent is illegal and the and the child is a U.S. citizen, um, I've never really put a lot of thought into getting rid of birth citizenship, though it does seem to me off the cuff that I, I could be open to it, um, that citizenship needs to be tied to your parents in some way. But as you point out, that's a moot point because it's never going to change. It's, You're never going to get the 14th Amendment to change, especially uh, the Democrats don't want it to change because – Minorities tend to vote Democratic, so you start limiting the number. That number, you start limiting the number. You know the 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 Democratic base, and that's really not going to happen. The second part of this is the employment based immigration. The United States provides various ways for immigrants with valuable skills to come to the country on either a permanent or a temporary basis. Um, we get different categories of and limits. We have persons of extraordinary ability in arts and science. We capped that at 40,000. Members of the profession holding advanced degrees at 40,000. Skilled workers at least two years of training at 40,000. Special immigrants, including religious workers, employees of U.S. Foreign Services, we cap at 10,000. And persons who will invest at least a quarter million, I mean, a half million to a million job in job creation is also at 10,000. Um, so you can certainly see at that point, we only want certain people uh, for employment based. Um, well, we're, we're going to, yeah, we're, 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 and remember, this isn't the all the limits. This is sort of extra. We'll allow those people right. to, to, to come in. And just as a, a personal note, I have a sister in law that one of the things that she has made her very successful uh, business on is finding jobs for people in high-tech industries, some of them coming from overseas. A lot of people don't realize that right now that India produces more uh, computer engineers than the United States does. So if I if I have a business that I need a computer engineer, guess what? It's really helpful if I can have the broadest par- uh, possible uh, population uh, to fill those jobs, which are, you know how that works. I mean, when's the last time some kid in the United States went to his uh, school counselor and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm really looking into being a computer programmer, computer engineer. And the counselor said, oh, no, there's no jobs. In <laughs> that happened exactly never. All right. And now India, a large country, is has a good educational system, producing more computer uh, engineers than the United States. And the thing is, this is extremely helpful to my sister-in-law's company and to all the companies that she helped provide these computer engineers and other people too. Uh, So we want this. This is how countries and businesses are built. They, we, you know, you want talent from other places. We need talent. Not only do you want, but you need it. You can, you know, it's not here. There's not, there's not enough homegrown talent to take these jobs. So again, looking at immigration in an economic light, the vast majority of, uh, of the reading that I could find on this subject said that immigration helped us economically. And I think it's, it's perceived sometimes people say, oh, they're going to take 
In fact, the the original Quota Act in the 20s was the idea that the based uh, popular because it was based on the idea, well, these guys from Russia and Poland and, you know, uh, they're, they're going to come in and, and Italy, they're going to come in and take your job. And people, oh, you know, we, don't, we, we need our jobs. And that's not really what happens. No, it, it's not. It, 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 the, the, it, the total, a lot of the immigrants that are lower skilled will take jobs that most Americans don't want. And I tell you what, you bring in one of these computer engineers and you make a business my, my, successful. My sister-in-law's company has over 100 employees. They live in Virginia, most of them. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a win-win. So, you know, you have to keep this stuff in mind. Well, it goes back to that, those little surveys I was doing at the beginning, those little uh, polls, uh, what reality is according to perception. All right. So the fourth part is refugees and asylum. Now, this is based on what the president wants. The data on this website is from 2016. So some from Africa, it's 25,000. East Asia, 13,000. Europe and Central Asia, 4,000. Latin America. Those are the limits. These are the limits. 3,000. Near East and Southeast Asia, 34,000. Uh, unallocated is 6,000. Gives us a total of 85,000 people coming here as refugees or asylum seekers. Right. And and you come here uh, as a legitimate refugee or asylum for the same reason. Uh, the, your status is based on a well-funded fear of uh, persecution. And uh, so, you know, we allow a certain number of people in for that. I guess this could be controversial because – um, you know, first of all, you can't take everybody. Right. Uh, there are people th- that do want to take everybody. Um, and there's also people that would say, well, some of these people aren't really persecuted. They're just coming to the United States. They want a free ride and et cetera. So because this, and this is determined by the president. And one thing I think is related to those ideas, uh, and well, or, or maybe more the uh, humanitarian exceptions uh, to immigration law is the uh, the Dreamers and the Do- uh, DACA. Right. And I think we need to talk a little bit about that. Do Do you have any information on the Dreamers there? Or? Well, I don't have anything written down, but the Dreamers were the Dreamers and were DACA, and it's Deferred Action Child. I forget what all the for ed- child arrival child arrival and what what it applies to and I think a lot of people misunderstand this is that children who were brought here illegally they weren't born here they were brought here illegally by their parents but they had no choice their parents were coming to America and they came to America so for they have no little memory of their uh, homes and America basically is their home. What do you do with these things? Well, under Obama, we came up with a DACA program, uh, pretty high level to get in, um, and you had to pay uh, fees to also be part of the DACA program. You were called a dreamer, and as long as you kept your registration current, that you were not going to be deported. And I believe you could not have any arrests, any felony arrests, any – I don't think – Serious misdemeanors. Serious misdemeanors. You had to be in college or have a job in in the military. You had these people in the military. And these people were to be protected. Um, And under Bush – not Bush. I'm sorry. Under Trump, um, he was sort of going after – he was using them as a – he was using them sort of as a a chip 
to try to get the wall. Right. The, the, the DACA program defers uh, uh, deportation for two years. And the, the, the DREAM Act is a little different in that it provides a passage to citizenship for these kids that, were, that came here. And, and so they're, they're related, but they're a little different. But uh, the, the, the DACA program was done by executive order by Obama yes. and therefore can be reversed by Trump. Uh, the, the dream, there was actually this, this uh, it was a bipartisan thing called the DREAM Act. And I didn't realize this. Orrin Hatch, a very conservative Republican, was a co-sponsor. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and it's never been passed. But it allows alien minors, uh, conditional residency, and then a path to permanent citizenship. And it involves education and speaking English and, you know, not doing anything illegal. So as of right now, they're protected by executive order, but there is no path to citizenship for that. There is right now. The DREAM Act is is not passed. Right. The hope was that would be passed as something as comprehensive uh, um, immigration reform. And I think Trump would be willing to sign uh, the DREAM Act, but it would have to include money for the wall. That Mexico was to pay for. Yeah. Mexico's never <laughs> – you know, and, 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 you know, here we get to – what I always find a problem with Trump is this, uh, this overclaiming. Mexico is never going to pay for a wall. There's no need for Mexico to pay for a wall. The, the minimum estimate is $20 billion. Now, I've heard that's way, way short, that that might be required just to buy the land because you have to buy the land before you build the wall. Well, Trump said $12 billion. Department of Homeland Security is saying $26 billion. Um, and that's de- low. And Democrats have put it at $70 billion. But really, in all intents and purposes, it could go over $100 billion. I mean, yeah. you want to build a wall that's over 1,000 miles long, across a border of land that you don't own. Um, and you got to maintain it. Right. And that's another part of it too. You have to maintain the wall. Yeah. Um, they built a fence um, in Texas and back in 2008 uh, across Southern Texas. There are still 90 lawsuits, 90 lawsuits still open from that 10 years later from taking people's land from eminent domain. Um, to build this wall legally – Forget the construction part of it. Oh. Just legally trying to take this you have much to hire land. A ton of lawyers. Oh my gosh, it's going to be a nightmare because yeah. you just can't build it right down the border because that's not always sufficient to build the wall. I was reading stories where the proposed plan was going to put American citizens on the wrong side of the wall because that's it was going to, where you could get the land. That's where you could get the land. So American citizens living in the United States were going to be on the Mexico side of the wall. <laughs> I don't know if you put a door in for those people. You give them a little uh, garage door opener that it goes up and down or give them a bat cave. They call them turnstiles. Those little things that go over the fences. But then that would kind of defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? The, the wall is stupid. Um, it, it was a campaign promise that played on people's perceptions of – um, uh, a fear of the other, fear of people coming in, MS-13, all these people want to rape and kill you. I'm sure there's a few good people in there amongst them. Um, it, it makes zero sense. Wait, uh, did, did you know this? When I was reading about this, I, I you know, I, I understood it, it, there, it, there is this. The U.S.-Mexico Migration Corridor is the world's largest, with 12 million people having uh, come across that. However, 
I didn't, I was not aware that even before the Trump administration, the numbers of immigrants from Mexico had died down tremendously. Oh, yeah. It's going on a lot. Yeah. And, and, and there's even a question whether we now have a net negative where people are, are going back. And then you get into the idea of NAFTA, which has created a lot of good jobs south of the border. And, you know, Trump wants to tear up that. But good jobs south of the border, probably the single best way, if you don't want Mexicans to immigrate to the United States, make it possible to get a pretty good job and have a pretty good life where you're at. That's just common sense. I don't think some of this has been thought out. It is what you, it's just this reflexive racism. And, you know, we mentioned earlier, we, we both feel you got to have a border. You got to have laws. Uh, we want people who want to accept our culture and be part of it. We want people who want to come here and be naturalized as American citizens. But the demonization has been just way over the top, now, way over the top. And it's, the wall is not – the Republicans are supporting the wall, many of them, but it is such a non-conservative idea. You know, to me, conservatism has always been let's not create problems we don't have. And let's by, not spend money. We don't need to. Right. Um, and you're going to build a wall that's going to cost, let's say, $30 billion and I don't know how much to maintain. And you have no idea what the impact of that wall is going to be. It could be it could push a huge group of Mexicans across because they don't want to be trapped on that side of the wall. So you can see this huge surge of migration right before the wall because people want to be trapped on the U.S. side of it. Currently, there's two to three, I mean, what is it? Three, uh, 20 to $25 billion is being sent back every year from um, Mexican immigrants, illegals back to Mexico. Um, it's called family values. Right. Just it's just <laughs> it, it, the, wall, the wall is a campaign promise. It wasn't thought through. And we didn't even touch on the environmental part of oh. what the wall would do to uh, migration of animals back and forth. So um, that brings us to the end of this. I mean, I, we, we could go one quite a long time uh, on immigration. Uh, the policy is, a, is sort of a mess right now. And Bo, it has become so uh, political that – Either side does not want to give. And, and, and the thing in this is the wall, I think, right now is it's um, – the wall is becoming this big – I don't even know what you want to call it. Well, I think it. also the separation of the, the kids to Right. From oh, their yes. parents to the to deter immigrants, which Trump has said, well, that's – we don't we, – we, you know, we want to deter these people. And that's just – you know, that's not a popular policy. There's still well, that, 71 kids where we don't know where their parents are. Yeah, you know, and, and again, I, I do think the vast majority of Americans, when they think about it, they, they, need, they want a border. They want people coming here that respect certainly certain essential parts of our culture. You can do that without taking kids from their parents. You just can you know, you would so, think. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it is just really, really unf- – again, we get – you know, what is the purpose? What is Trump doing? Does he really, does he even really want to control this problem of immigration? Is that really the purpose or is the purpose to energize a group of voters? I never know with him. I never know what the guy believes, to tell you the truth. I don't even think he really knows. Yeah, I think it changes. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. 
Uh, we're going to come back in probably early to mid-September with some podcasts. Uh, we're going to do some traveling around and create some podcasts. We're going to take a little bit of a summer break here. I guess you could say we'll start season two um, in September. So thanks for joining us for this first leg of our journey. Uh, again, if you want to contact us, it's email, uh, history, politics, and beer at Gmail. Hit us on Twitter, hit us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, thanks for joining us so far.